Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we celebrate our 52nd episode, a full year running this podcast, talking about a market correction. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host Dan Maseka. And once again, we welcome Matt Trogdon, Certified Financial Planner to the show. Good to see everybody. It's great to see you, Ross, for this market correction edition of Check Your Balances. This is our 52nd episode. This is literally marking a full year that we have put out one podcast a week from the perspective of financial planners. And we do so today as the market is what looks like melting down. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 25th. At the moment, the NASDAQ is down about 3% for the day. The S&P is off 2.5%. And we can get into what some of those numbers look like. Uh, But we've got a lot to talk about there. Before we get into that, we did have a follow-up question because we did a show uh, near the end of the year about I-bonds, which is looking smarter by the day. And uh, we had a listener write in that has bought some of the I-bonds and had a question. Uh, This is from Gaurav, and he said, "Uh, I don't need these funds now, but if I do need them, do you know how much time it should take for me to sell I-bonds and transfer that money back? Now, from personal experience, uh, as our listeners may know, I just bought them for the first time. So this was the first time I've ever done it. I've never redeemed them. So I don't have any personal experience. But Dan, you took a look at this and you think you've at least got a, a reasonable estimate. I think I do. So on the Treasury Direct website, it does give you an answer to how to redeem I-bonds. So if you own them digitally through the site, it looks like within a couple days of the redemption date, the date you put in that request, the money can be in your checking account. So it's fairly liquid, but you definitely want to Give yourself a couple days instead of needing the money within minutes and then trying to redeem it. Okay, so that's our best estimate. The short answer is we don't know because we haven't been through it, but it does look like they do that pretty quickly. I have an I-bond complaint while we are on the subject. I went to buy my first sleeve of I-bonds December 31st of 2021. Of course, the trick with I-bonds is you can only buy $10,000 worth a year. So I planned to buy a sleeve on the 31st, and then I was going to turn around the next week and buy another sleeve. So I would have a sleeve for 2021 and a sleeve for 2022. I procrastinated too long, and even though I put my order in on December 31st, it didn't get accepted until January 3rd. So I have a big bone to pick with the I-bond people. I think that's the Treasury Department, and I don't think you can just call up the Treasury Department and have them fix that for you. You don't think they have a great customer service team over there? If I had to guess, I would not I would not guess that the customer service team is up to our standards. So, a lesson to everyone, don't wait until the last minute if you want to buy some i-bonds. Now, have you looked at the transaction since it cleared? Does it show a posting date of when you entered it or when it actually was accepted? 
It shows a posting date of January 3rd. Bummer. You missed Bummer it. indeed. A whole year of iBonds victory that you missed out on. Yeah, and given where the market is right now and the need for some safe investments, that's a that's a darn shame. So yeah, let's get into that. And with a lot of our shows, I think we're trying to tell a little bit of a story. Uh, we don't necessarily have a narrative here. You know, we're three certified financial planners. We're going through this market just like all of our listeners. I believe we just looked at the numbers. The Nasdaq is down 13% year to date. I think the S&P is down just about 10% as well. So, you know, meaningful pullback to start the year. And if you've owned some aggressive tech and some of the stay-at-home stocks and uh, some of the things that have been really, really popular in the last few years, the story's probably even uglier than that. It would be very reasonable for people to be feeling uncomfortable right now. And so uh, I think we just wanted to set up our discussion today as talking through what we're seeing, uh, not necessarily making predictions, but how are we helping people cope with this when we're on the phone with clients? And uh, maybe there's something helpful for our listeners at home as, as they're processing what's going on as well. So I guess, Matt, as you, you wrote a piece about a week ago that starts out really talking about the dislocation in the market and that it's not all markets that are behaving the same way. Can we start there in terms of maybe being a champion for diversification a little bit at this point? Sure. So there was a piece that went around about a week and a half ago. The title was something to the effect that passive ETFs were hiding the carnage in the markets. And the argument was that if you look at something like the S&P 500, you take that index, you take an ETF that tracks it. Given that it's a market cap weighted index, the largest stocks in the index are going to have an oversized impact on how the index performs. Right now, the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 make up over a third of the index. So from a returns perspective, that means that if those top 10 stocks go up 1%, that's going to be equivalent to the bottom 90% of the index going up 1%. So what this piece argued was that the quality returns of some of the largest companies in the economy masked the carnage that was going on in the rest of the stock market throughout much of 2021. And so if you were invested in an S&P 500 index fund, you got great returns in 2021. I think you got 27%-ish. But if you were if you held individual stocks, you might have had a much different experience. Well, and the, the other thing that I remember being being pointed out is that international stocks have not had the same start to the year. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and uh, I'm using the Vanguard FTSE All World XUS Index. So the, the ticker there is VEU on, on the ETF. I'm using that just as a surrogate for what global stocks XUS have done. And they are down as well, currently at a tune of about 4.5% which is half of the slide so far that we've seen in the US. And so when you're looking at this, we could easily say this is the market repricing where the risk has been, where the inflated assets have been. Uh, and there's been a lot of folks that have believed that US stock prices have been high for a long time. And I think you're, you're watching the market try and reprice that and, and figure out what is the actual valuation? What are we willing to pay for that risk today? And I think that that's the reminder that I try and tell myself. 
is that this is not necessarily a fundamental change in value of these businesses. When you're watching the stock market go up and down, what you're watching is what people are willing to pay today to take on that ownership. And that is simply not necessarily the inherent value of the business. Now, that could mean that even in today's climate after pullbacks, that things are still overvalued. You could still be effectively, quote unquote, overpaying for a stock today after it's fallen 10, 15, 20 plus percent from its highs. You could also be picking things up at bargain bin prices where the market has pessimism stacked on top of a good business. And I think for anybody that is doing active stock picking and looking for those opportunities, that's the real question in an environment like this is what has turned into an incredible deal where the pessimism has just completely gone too far about the prospects of an otherwise really great business? Quite frankly, that explains the way that I've evolved throughout this market drop. At first, it's pretty jarring to see the prices of stocks go down to the level that we've seen. So, uh, you know, it, it's painful to watch your money just decrease in value overnight without any respite. Like every day, you're taking hits and hits and hits. And then there was a point where my mindset shifted from this is terrible. I don't like looking at this to this is about to get really fun. And I use fun for lack of a better word. It's never fun to lose money, but this is where differences are made. When everything is being devalued, somewhere in there, there's gold. And the game is to find the best opportunities available when everyone else is afraid. There are quality companies that are ripe for the picking if you're just willing to to put a foot forward and, and take a risk when everyone else is is running for the exit doors. You alluded to to the uncertainty there, and I think that that's one of the more interesting parts that I have. Uh, and I hear this a lot when I talk with clients and and folks that are going through this is kind of this sense that there's a lot of things we don't know right now. You've got political tensions with uh, the Russia and the Ukraine situation going on. You've got potential headwinds of interest rates and inflation you've got very few places to hide in terms of attractive safe assets, uh, except for the I-bonds that we're apparently all trying to buy. Uh, So you've got limited options where you can go, yeah, that feels really good. I know where I'm going to go park some money, earn some yield, and kind of lick my wounds. People go, well, I want to wait till some of this stuff shakes out. I want to wait till it's a little bit more certain that inflation isn't running rampant. I want to be a little bit more certain that there isn't going to be meaningful political conflict or military action going on in the world. And in many ways, peak uncertainty is what we should be looking for as an investor, right? That, that, that peak uncertainty is the market volatility. When those things kind of, I think of it almost as like a checklist, right? The things that we need to check off to feel like the world is going back into a better direction, whether those are political views, whether those are economic views, whether those are unemployment news, whatever it is that you're looking for to say, okay, things are fine. We're in a better place now. Once those things start being checked off, the pricing opportunity gets lost. And I think I've used this quote on the show before, but I think it was Ameriprise's market uh, strategist. And I was there in 2008 when everything was going crazy. Uh, I think it was David Joy that said this, but it was when you've got the price, you won't have the proof. And when you've got the proof, you won't have the price. 
And that has always stuck with me as a really, really insightful comment that once you have the proof that everything's going to be okay, the pricing opportunity has kind of moved on. And we don't have to go too far back to see that play out. Uh, It feels like it's been a long time since we've lost this kind of money in the stock market. And as I caught myself thinking about that, I had to stop and remember that it was only two years ago that we saw a huge pullback in the S&P 500 as a surrogate for, for the market. It was something like 30% in a matter of weeks, including almost 10% in a single day. And all of those feelings and all of those memories were wiped away from my mind. But it wasn't long ago. It, it should all be fresh. And for the people who were afraid and got out, like you were saying, Ross, it wasn't a very long pullback before things started roaring back. And if, if you just sat on the sidelines for even a month or two, you missed incredible opportunity there. I was working with a client at my old firm around that time, March 2020. He and his wife had come in for an initial planning meeting. I can't remember if I've told you guys the story or not. We had the initial planning meeting. We had another meeting set on the calendar. That second meeting got postponed because of COVID. We were in the process of going to a fully virtual office, so we put it off a week. I called him a few days before... We were supposed to meet the second time just to confirm the appointment. And he said, yeah, I think I want to cancel that. And I said, okay, I understand. Is there anything in particular, any feedback you want to provide? And he just went off and he said, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. The stock market is down 30%. It's only going to get worse. And I don't feel like this is an appropriate time to be talking about things like this. And I think about that a lot because we know what happened, right? He might have called on the actual day that the market bottomed out. I can't remember. But we know what happened. The market was back to even within months. It had had 100% gain over the next year. And so I think about that guy every once in a while. I haven't talked to him. I don't know what he ended up doing. But I hope he didn't sell everything and get out because. You know, he would have missed all of that return. And so, as you guys are saying, the moments where it's scariest is really the time when decisions get made that have a serious impact on your chances of success as an investor. Yeah. So, you know, the thing that I think about is what can we do? You know, what can we do, not necessarily in terms of making investing, you know, decisions and changes, but just to calm ourselves and, my default from a financial planning background is let's go back to the plan. Let's rerun the plan with the current numbers, with whatever you've lost, whatever blood is on your statement. Let's see if you're going to be okay. In my mind, that does a couple things for us. Number one, we hope that the answer is we had an appropriate asset allocation. We are going to be fine. We were prepared for this. right? That, that is the hope answer that we're trying to get to. If that's not the case, you should at least understand where you stand as well. But it's a reminder to me that your portfolio is a tool to provide for a lifestyle. And there is a lot of fun in watching the numbers go up. I get as excited as anybody. I'm I'm a kid in a candy store watching the numbers tick new highs and going, yes, look what I did. This is my measuring stick. Fantastic. When it's going the wrong direction, it is really painful. Uh, it's just it's painful personally. It's painful as an advisor. 
as people that care about our clients and the people that we're working with and care about our listeners, if you're out there feeling nervousness and discomfort, that sucks. And I recognize that discomfort. And we're trying to add a little bit of refocusing on what exactly was this supposed to do for you? Why have you been saving? What have you been saving for? And can you still do it? Because if the answer is yes, then I would encourage you to put your statements in the drawer for a little while and and not spend every day logging in. Because I, I just don't think it's healthy. I think it's adding a negative influence. And, and I'm a little bit in that space even myself. Not to the point that I'm not paying attention because I am. And I do want to still continue to dive deep into these companies and, and look for those opportunities. So it's not like we can just go to sleep at the wheel and like wake up six months later and hope everything's better. Our profession doesn't work that way. But to the point that I'm going to look every day at my personal portfolio and look at whether I'm up or down uh, and what the new dollar amount is, that's not how I'm going to spend my time because I don't think it's productive. I think it's just going to upset me and create negative feelings where I need clear-headedness. I like looking at this as a business owner as well. So I'm a part owner in a, a brewery and it's a private company. We don't get repriced every day depending on what people want to pay for our company that day. We just don't get that kind of feedback. But the context I do have is what we're doing internally. What do our operations look like? And I like evaluating stocks from that perspective. So if you're looking at a brewery business from the outside, there's a lot of reason to be pessimistic. Inflation is causing the cost of all goods to go up. Cans are getting expensive. Steel is getting expensive. Shipping is getting expensive. And and there are delays across the board for all those things. The market for beer is decreasing as people are shifting to like a healthier focus and looking to alternatives. So if you were if you were trying to value this business, it would be very easy to look at all of those things and say, okay, you know, this is this clearly has to be priced down because of these outside factors. But if you were looking internally, you know, you might not see all of those materialize and and you know, lifting the hood a little bit, you know, we don't feel those same pressures because of the scale at which we're operating and the partnerships we have. So it's it's just interesting to see, you know, if you eliminated the immediate feedback of the stock market, what would you have as a company? How are they operating? How has their actual business been impacted? And uh, I think for people investing in individual stocks, hopefully that's the context you're taking instead of just looking, this went up and this went down. This is good. This is bad. There's just more to it than that. I remember our former employer, The Motley Fool, we all worked there. Someone back in the day wrote a great piece where they treated housing price returns like stock market returns. And so they wrote it from the perspective of a homeowner who goes and checks his or her housing price every day and then freaks out depending on what the price is you know on the house it's ludicrous when you think about it that way but if you have a long enough investment horizon 20 years 30 years whatever it is if you're far away from retirement your stocks really what they do today what they do tomorrow it doesn't impact you it has the same impact that the change in your home value might have. And so you, you really should take a step back if you can. Try to put down the phones, try to stop checking because it's not going to help. Yeah, I do think that there's something to be said for that less frequent repricing. 
And the, the stock market is really incredible in that it's almost the purest look at supply and demand that you could possibly have, right? Like the mechanism of I want to sell this thing and I'm gonna I'm gonna let it reprice until I have a buyer means that you can find incredible opportunities both in you know moments of panic and moments of euphoria where you can find a buyer at the craziest levels. Um, you know, if you are in a meaningful slide or a meaningful moment of appreciation, I always think that those are the scariest times to be changing your risk tolerance, right? If you're in a slide and you have mispriced your own risk tolerance, essentially, and you're, you're too exposed, you know, that's a very scary situation if you're very close to needing the money. But if you're still three to five years away from needing the money, that's not the time to make a large-scale adjustment. It's just not. Similarly, and I, I think I've said this on our show before, if we've just seen massive returns in the stock market and you're going, why didn't my portfolio keep up? I want to crank on the gas so that I can keep up with my neighbors. I can keep up with the memes that I'm seeing on Instagram or the people on Twitter that are saying they've got these incredible returns. That's also likely a mistake. Right? We don't necessarily want to be changing the amount of gas in a negative way during a slide or adding to the uh, fire after a huge run-up. Um, and so you know, I tend to be very sensitive to those and kind of maintaining the course or adding after a meaningful slide, right? If you've got cash on the sidelines, you know, is this the the bottom? I have no idea. Anybody that tells you that they are predicting the bottom, like, please don't listen to them. That's craziness. They have no idea. But I, I tend to think that way. If you had cash, I would add it. Maybe not 100% of it today. Maybe it's a dollar cost averaging strategy and you start working that money back into the market. But try and set some rules for yourself where you're not guessing, right? Make it a systematic, okay, every two weeks on this day, I'm going to make this transaction. Where you're setting yourself kind of a rules-based system and you don't have to every two weeks rethink, what do I think about the market this week? Because asking that question over and over again, is you're just going to drive yourself nuts. It's like changing lanes at the grocery store, which cashier is going to be the fastest. And if you keep bouncing around, you're probably always going to find the line you were in moving faster than the one you went to. You guys know that I'm a pretty big sports fan. I'm a big college basketball guy. And I've gotten to the point where, for whatever reason, it's probably something I need to work through. But if my team is playing poorly, I can't watch. And so... If they're playing well, I'm having a great time. If they play poorly, I, I turn the TV off. This has become kind of an increasing problem for me over the years. Whether I watch the game or not has zero impact on what's going to happen in the game. And so I started years ago, if things were going south in the game, I would say, okay, I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to set, I'm going to look on my clock. I'm going to cool off for five minutes. I'll check back in in five minutes and I'll see how it's going. So I was thinking about that a little bit yesterday during the market plunge. I finally shut down my Yahoo Finance, stopped looking at things, and then I came back at the end of the day and was pleasantly surprised. I recommend doing the same if you find yourself unable to to turn away. That's really something that you just have to be able to do. I like that. Whether you watch or not isn't going to change the outcome. 
but if I watch upside down on my chair, it could change the outcome. I've made that deal many a time with the sports gods, and on more than one occasion, it's worked out for me. I mean, as a Washington football fan, if I didn't watch when they weren't playing to my satisfaction, I don't think I'd ever watch any football. Yeah, I'm a big UVA basketball fan. They're not playing up to their normal standard this year. For the amount of time I spend following the team, I have watched a ridiculously small amount of the actual games. So what else have you guys been doing to to make yourselves feel better? Is there anything else that you're using as a strategy just to find some zen or, or to refocus I tend to go back to like comfort TV shows when I'm not feeling good. I'll, I'll rewatch an episode of The Office or, or just something silly where I just don't have to think about it. That lets my brain completely detach for a few minutes. And I don't even have to listen to the storyline because I've seen that stuff so much that uh, I can just kind of bask in the silliness of it. But what, what are you guys doing to find some, some peace and some zen? Uh, so what I do is I wake up in the morning and I step outside. I take a deep breath and I get real high and I scream at the top of my lungs, what's going on? That's what I do, Ross. (laughs) That sounds like your neighbors must love you, Dan. (laughs) No, I I did get to a concert. It was a Beatles tribute band the other night and the Beatles always seem to to soothe my my soul and my heart and my spirit. Uh, That was a nice reprieve. And then uh, I think just thinking backwards, like thinking about, history and and the history of the market and how there's just always reason for optimism, no matter what short-term period we're in, has got me feeling better too. Um, so music, arts, definitely a great a great way to, to relieve stress. And then also just putting things into perspective and looking forward instead of backwards. I'm a big fan of a daily walk. My fiance is getting really tired of hearing about my walking, but Getting outside, walking for an hour a day, whether it's for health benefits or just to get some sunshine or just to clear your head, I will buy stock in that exercise all day. And now your fiance could be happy that you're sharing that with us and our listeners rather than with her. And uh, you've got a day of sharing about your walking out of the way. That's right. I just keep wanting to make song lyric jokes, but I'm going to stop myself. So I think we can probably wrap it there. You know, I, I think our main point is that we're in this with people. I, I think we as financial planners can sometimes sound like a broken record when it's stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. That is not because we don't have any better ideas. That is because we are harping on the idea that we believe most in. And that doesn't mean it's not difficult. We're going through this with everybody that's out there. And if anything that we said you found helpful today, we'd love to hear from you. Or if there's questions that you would like us to be tackling with our show, check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for us. We really appreciate you listening. Be well, everybody. We'll see you next time.